Well, good morning. Our text this morning is from Isaiah chapter 2. It was your first scripture lesson in the bulletin. If you have your Bibles, you can open up there. Isaiah chapter 2, the first five verses. Before we begin, let me open us with a word of prayer. O Lord, we tremble at your word, and we ask you that even this day, and as your word goes forth from this pulpit, during the preaching, we pray that our hearts would tremble all again, that they would believe your truth and rejoice at the marvelous things found in your word. So we pray for your blessing, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, if you haven't noticed, it is Christmas time again is a good thing, and is the first Sunday of Advent, and the time we celebrate the birth of our Savior, the birth of our great Messiah, Jesus our Lord. However, I think we often uh, think, uh, we narrow the scope of the celebration of Jesus' birth. So this first Sunday in Advent, I want to remind us why this baby in a manger is such good and glorious news. You know, a birth is a pretty special thing, yet it's a very nerve-wracking time. I'm not comparing what my wife went through uh, to my experience of standing there and waiting. Surely I would never do that. But when you have a child, especially your first, it's a time filled with joy, but also great anxiety. I remember thinking, how is this kid going to turn out? Am I going to screw him up? Is he going to hate me? What if I fail? You think all these different anxious thoughts. And so much of this anxiety comes from the simple fact that you don't know how the story is going to play out. You don't know how this little baby's story is going to end. And yet with Christmas, it's a bit different, isn't it? We know how this baby's story plays out. You see, through the birth of the Messiah all the nations will be blessed. The Lord has told us the end of the story. And this blessing is not a simple blessing that we often uh, think about. We're not talking about your grandmother's holiday cookies, although those are a blessing. We're not talking about seeing your cousins at Christmas time, although that may be a blessing, or the nice watch your family got you for Christmas, although that may be a blessing. We're talking here about ultimate blessing ultimate blessing. Through the birth of the Messiah, the curse is reversed. He has come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. And so our outline this morning is simple. It goes like this. We will see the power of his birth, the blessing of his birth, the result of his birth, and the call of his birth. That is the power, the blessing, the result, and the call of Jesus' birth. And so let's begin looking at the first couple of verses here and notice the power of Jesus' birth. In verse 2, we read that this prophecy will be fulfilled in the latter days, or last days, essentially the end times. This language is used in some of the Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, or the New Covenant prophecies of the Old Testament. We first hear this phrase in Genesis 49, when Jacob prophesies that in the latter days a king will come from Judah 
and his kingdom will never, ever end. Now, the New Testament declares that, in fact, the latter days have come since the Messiah has come. Directly linked to the prophecies of the latter days is the prophecy or the promise of this Messiah to come. And so, although our text doesn't use the term Messiah, it does state that this mountain is the mountain of the house of the Lord. Who is the Lord? Jesus is the Lord. This is Jesus' house on the chief of mountains. So the text doesn't need to use the term Messiah to be messianic in nature. We have been in the last days since the time of the Incarnation, since the time the Son has entered into His own creation. The newborn Messiah in the manger signified that the latter days have come. They are here. The times of fulfillment have dawned. It's the fullness of time, as Paul calls it in Galatians 4. The promises given to Abraham are being fulfilled. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And this is what Isaiah is referring to when he says that in the latter days, the mountain of God will be established as the chief mountain, or the highest mountain, or the head of mountains. The picture here is that of Solomon's temple built on Mount Zion. The picture is of that temple being lifted up, which, as we learn in the New Testament Scriptures, is fulfilled in Christ, the true temple, and His bride, the church, the congregation of the Lord that's being built into a holy temple by the Holy Spirit. And in the latter days, it says, all the nations shall flow to this mountain. All the nations shall flow to Christ and the church, His bride. And this begun the day He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So what great power, what great power in His birth that through it all the nations will be blessed. Through the birth of Christ, all the nations will flow to the house of the Lord. Through the birth of this little Jewish baby named Jesus, my five-year-old little Gentile self, in a foreign land that, was, that didn't, wasn't even discovered yet, was glad when my mother said to me, Come, let us go to the house of the Lord every Sunday. And it probably was the same for many of you. That's the power of the gospel to all the nations. The Gentiles all around the world are saying, Come, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us go up to the mountain of the house of the God of Jacob. You see, when the gospel comes to you, not in word only, but in power and with great conviction and strikes you in the heart, where do you go? You go to the house of the Lord. You go to the people of God, the church, to worship the King who was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We see the power of His birth then when we consider all the different nations and tribes and tongues that are worshiping right now on this Sunday morning all around the world celebrating this very thing, the birth of our King. Don't let the world fool you then don't let them fool you. The church is growing. God's people are spreading. God is working in His church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. 
You see, this mountain of the house of the Lord is being established and will continue to be established until all things are accomplished and Christ returns. And so we await this day patiently and with great joy, knowing one day the reversal of the curse will be completed. And so there's great power in Christ's birth, but there's also great blessing. And this is what we see also in this latter-day promise, the blessing of his birth. Isaiah tells us that in this latter-day messianic period, the Lord will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his path. Very similar to what Ezekiel says, that he will take out our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh and sprinkle clean water on us. Or it's very similar to what Jeremiah says in the prophecy of the New Covenant in Jeremiah 31, that he will write uh, his law on our hearts. It's also similar to what Jesus told his disciples, that when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. See, when we come to the mountain of Jesus, he teaches us his ways in order that we may serve him all of our days. For on this mountain his word is proclaimed, it's taught, and we are exhorted and encouraged and blessed. And many people shall come and say, let's go to Jesus' house so he may teach us, so that we may live like he did. This is what God brings about in our hearts when the gospel comes to us, not in word only, but in power and with great conviction. Our hearts then overflow with thanksgiving and a desire to be taught the word of God so that we may live as Jesus did, so that we may serve our Savior, so that we may believe what God has written and learn what he requires of us. This is the blessing of his birth. See, Jesus being born led to nations being taught the Holy Scriptures. You being here this morning, being fed the word of the living God in this church, is because of the birth of the Messiah. The law, God's word, goes forth from Mount Zion. And it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, you have come to Mount Zion. So never lose the love you had at first for learning the Word of God. Our hearts from day one in the faith to our last day should say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord and learn from Him so that we may find rest for our souls. Our hearts should say, Come, let us sit at the feet of our Master and be taught of Him. If you have lost the passion you once had, this can happen to all of us. There's times in our lives we lose the passion for the Word of God. This happens to ministers and elders and deacons and lay people and, and youth, children, adults, seniors. There's times that we can lose the passion we once had, but brothers and sisters, know that it is never too late to enroll again in the school of Christ. I saw this uh, amazing video. Uh, I was reminded of it when I was preparing this sermon. I looked it up. It's still on YouTube. You can go look for this. But it's uh, missionaries in China giving Chinese converts their first Bibles. And it is a beautiful, beautiful picture. Uh, they never had one before. And the second they open up this box of Bibles, they're like a, it's like a swarm of brothers and sisters 
uh, opening this box. They're, they're kissing their new Bibles. And they're so excited. Is this our attitude with the Word of God? Is this our attitude towards worship? Another blessing of His birth we see here is in verse 4. Notice, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes and render decisions for many peoples. Ultimately, this is fulfilled at the last judgment, for He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. But Jesus, as the New Testament tells us, is King now, ruling now, being seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And so, as one commentator says, He shall, in wisdom and justice, order and overrule the affairs of the world for the good of His church, and rebuke and restrain those that oppose His interests. See, Jesus is growing His kingdom, His church, now. What a blessing that we have a king that is ruling and reigning for our good and for His glory. Another aspect of this same blessing is the blessing of church officers, the blessing of church government. God has blessed us with a government in His church so that disputes may be righteously decided, so that there will be order and peace among His people. These are marvelous blessings of the birth of our King. Never forget all the marvelous blessings that have been bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Before the Israelites entered into the Promised Land, Moses sings or recites or chants a, a, a song to the people. In many ways, it's a song of warning to not be like the wilderness generation. And in Deuteronomy 32, 15, he says this, and take note, Jeshurun is another name for Israel. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You have grown fat. You have grown thick. You are covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. And what Moses is saying is that Israel took the blessings of the Lord, consumed these blessings without any regard for the giver of the blessings. And certainly this is easy to do during this holiday season, to become ungrateful for the blessings of Christ's birth or even the everyday blessings that we get during this season, all the food and gifts and uh, fun times with family. But never forget, the whole purpose is a celebration of the birth of our Messiah. For apart from Him, we would have nothing. So we must be grateful, not growing fat, but recognizing what our Lord has done for us and all the great blessings He's bestowed upon us. And so we've seen the power of His birth and the blessing of His birth. And now let's see the result of His birth. Here we see the ultimate hope in this passage. Surely remember that biblical prophecy has a now and not yet aspect to it. Surely all these things have begun with the first coming of Christ. They begun at His birth. But we also must remember that there is an ultimate fulfillment at the return of Christ, when He will make all things new, and all will be accomplished. The first coming of Christ brought much peace on the earth. Don't forget this, especially in the church. And this true peace through the gospel is spreading as the gospel goes forth. 
But one day, there will be no more war. Not one. Zero wars. Look at verse 4. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. There's a very similar picture in Revelation chapter 7. John writes, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, one day all the nations will come and worship the King. No longer will nations be seeking to become the next great world power. No longer will there be political rivals. No longer will governments oppress their citizens. No longer will politicians seek first their own gain. All people and all nations and tribes will be united by this one simple fact that Jesus Christ is King and Savior of the world. See, one day the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. One day the proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord will not meet any opposition, but every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And that proclamation will one day be a sweet taste in everyone's mouth, a sweet song in everyone's ears. The love of Christ will consume all the hearts of all the nations and all the earth. For our Savior, who was born of a virgin, who entered into His own creation, who died, was buried, and rose again, will reverse the curse. It's so easy in our day to get wrapped up in the concerns of the world and to therefore lose our sense of ultimate hope, caring about the state, surely caring about the state of our culture and government and our United States is a good thing, but we often can act as if it's the only thing. We are exhorted in Scripture to look to the eternal and not to the transient. And if we do this, our hearts will be set on our ultimate hope of the new heavens and the new earth, of ultimate renewal. And so when we live in this world, we won't be shaken by the earthly concerns that come and go and constantly shift, for our ultimate hope stands firm and never shifts. It remains forever. And if this is our if, if this is what we do this holiday season, we keep our eyes on the glorious news of our Savior Jesus Christ. It will help you stand firm in the face of any trial or temptation that comes your way this Christmas season. Keep your eyes on what Jesus is doing and what He will complete. Keep your eyes on the prize. As Paul said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, don't fall victim to your own emotions and feelings that can lead you astray, that can lead you to lose your focus on your ultimate hope. The Christian in Scripture is described as an athlete or a warrior or a pilgrim on a journey. And you see, losing your focus can be detrimental. Imagine a football player in the middle of a play, 
totally losing focus, lose the game, or a warrior in the midst of a battle, losing focus. It's no different for us. We must stay focused on what Christ is doing. And when we celebrate the birth of our Savior this Christmas season, never forget our ultimate hope so that you may remain steadfast and movable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. So that's the result of His birth. And now knowing the power, the blessing, and the result of His birth, the Lord then calls us in verse 5 to action in light of His birth, in light of this Messianic period. If the Messiah truly has come, if the One who will make all things right has come into the world to save sinners like us, and is coming again and is reversing the curse, then how shall we live? Our text answers this morning, we must live in the light of the Lord. Come, house of Jacob, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Paul states a, a similar thing in Ephesians 5. He says, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk, then, as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. You see, you have seen a great light in the face of Jesus Christ. You who were once far off have been brought near. You who once worshipped on the mountain of evil and depravity now have been brought to the mountain of our Lord Jesus Christ to worship the triune God in holiness. You who were once darkness have now been made light. You who were once not a people are now the people of God. You who were once did not receive mercy have now received mercy. What else is there to do other than walk in accordance with this good news? To live in a way that pleases Him who brought you out of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. If you have repented and believed in the gospel, then you responded to this call, this call to come. Now that same call goes out to us every single day to come and walk in the light of the Lord. Jesus said, He who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So Christian, work out this good news. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He has called you. What else is there to do but to come, follow, to obey? He has received you. He has forgiven you. He has had compassion on you. And He is coming back again and bringing you into His marvelous kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. So how could you not come and seek to live a life worthy of His gospel? So come, Christian. Come, celebrate the birth of our marvelous Savior this Christmas season, knowing that our great Savior has come into the world to save sinners from their sins and surely is coming again. So we may, may we live in such a way that reflects this glorious truth that through His birth all the nations will be blessed. You see, He who began a good work in us and a good work in the world will bring everything to completion 
on the day of his return. St. Thomas Aquinas said, God destines us for an end beyond the grasp of reason. And remember, when you celebrate the birth of our Messiah this Christmas, we are celebrating the birth of the one who will bring about the reversal of the curse, who will make all things new, the one who was slain and purchased for God by his blood, men out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your marvelous work that you are doing in us, in your church, and how you are growing your church and establishing it on earth. We pray, Lord, that we would live lives worthy of this wonderful gospel message. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.